I am always talking like I'm talking to you. <laughs> it's mostly how I talk. If I'm not talking to you, I'm not talking. <laughs> Generally. Except for the occasions where I see my family. It's rare. You don't talk when you play video games online? Not very much. I'm generally a quiet person, which is why it's so funny that you've chosen the worst person to make a podcast with. That's not true. Someone who's highly introverted and who's generally never had any confidence in speaking their mind on any subject. And you're like, that's someone I would love to put on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's a difficult thing for me to articulate myself. (laughs) There's so many things I want to say to what you said. I'm such a Shinji type person. I was going to say, first of all, you're mirroring almost exactly the protagonist of this story that we're about. I can't believe we're finally here making this podcast. I was telling you a second ago, I feel like it's, uh, this is probably how the fans were feeling in 1996, getting ready for the finale of the hit anime Neon Genesis Evangelion. And then they watch the finale of the show and they're just like, well, that was something. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane, especially because I first heard about this back in 2004. It's the first time I heard about this show. You were about 17, 18. 17, 18, yeah. Wow, good math. High school? Yeah, I'm a math guy. You're a math guy. (laughs) We've come to figure this out just today. Quick percentages. And that was already years after Evangelion had left its mark on pop culture across the world. Yeah, let's just hop into it. You might ask as a listener, (laughs) what? What are we doing here today, Steve? (laughs) Have we done an anime before on this cast? Castlevania, if that counts. Now that's a discussion. (laughs) Technically, no, it's not anime because it's American-made, or at least produced. Sure. But yeah, today we're going to spend a little time talking about Evangelion. Neon Genesis Evangelion. Which is one of the most iconic animated productions of all time. Yep. You might ask, because we try to stay pretty current on this podcast, you might ask, why are we doing this now? Yeah. When it's not current. Well, there's a few reasons. But mostly one. (laughs) I mean, discounting the fact that we've always wanted to watch this, but neither of us has until this year. But it's because of, did you have words written for this? Because you're looking at me like, no, 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 you are right. That's one of the points, but there's more. There's a movie coming out. Or just came out. It's already been out. Yeah. Just premiered on Amazon. Yeah. So after kind of in the same spirit of how we did the Watchmen podcasts, there was an old Neon Genesis Evangelion and a new one that just got remade. And the final movie just came out very recently this year and just finally got released to America on Amazon Prime. And so in preparation to talk about that, we wanted to catch you up with this episode 
the original. Also, Netflix just got the rights to put out the original anime, anime, pretty recently within the last couple of years. And they there's a whole thing with that and them redoing all the voices and the language that we probably won't touch on much here. But And the other thing is that Gabe and I both sort of watched it at the same time after both of us had been wanting to watch it for a long time. We had been talking about it for probably a couple of years now. And then on a more personal note, I had mentioned this a few months ago on the Invincible podcast with Alf, but I had a good friend that passed away a few months ago, and it was around this time that he had passed that I decided to watch this show because, and it was also happened to be the same time that Gabe was like, I'm starting it. <laughs> Just out of the blue. Yeah. So it all came together, but it does make me sad that my friend John isn't here to at least discuss it with as well. But anyway, so... That is why we're doing Neon Genesis Evangelion 1995 now. You might be thinking, what is anime? <laughs> That's a good question. What, what is anime? And uh, it's Japanese cartoons. Basically. You'll probably get some flack from diehard fans of for that reduction but yeah it's that's what it is essentially what other description could it's you... so layered steven you just don't get it <laughs> i don't know you could probably describe it more like you would uh, like a genre of fiction like otaku culture or whatever it's called i don't know i i was gonna mention that briefly later yeah like what that is because yeah, we'll, talk, we'll talk about that later. it's hard to talk about one without the other Okay, there's a few things we should talk about before, because this podcast is going to be, we should preface by saying, we're going to set up Evangelion, then we're going to recap it, then we're going to recap the end of Evangelion, which was a movie that finished the series for a reason, and then we're going to talk about the cultural impact and our thoughts. So It's a lot. So let's intro it by saying, Neon Genesis Evangelion was created by a man named Hideaki Anno. The one and only. Remember that name, Hideaki Anno. It's important to remember. It's considered one of the best animes, as Gabe said, in existence, if not the best anime. And I still personally have kind of a hard time understanding why that is, uh, which we'll probably talk about later. Yeah. As we break it down. <laughs> but I kind of refer to it like when you talk about Breaking Bad being the best show of all time or like Shawshank Redemption or Godfather or something being the best movie of all time. It's more of like a general sweeping statement saying this is the best anime of all time. You know what I mean? Yeah. The word best is hard to... Well, like the greatest, the most... I would say most iconic. Most iconic or most celebrated or something, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it's considered to be a super important work for pop culture, especially in the mid-90s. And it's just had crazy fan success ever since. But it also is sort of one of the hardest and most difficult things to explain because of its complicated narrative even to this day, yeah. <laughs> after 20-something years. True. Uh, because there have been not only so many iterations of the core narrative, but also Hideaki himself has said there's no for sure way to... There's no like... Interpretive. There's no fundamental canon here. It's oh. it's meant to be this kind of elusive thing, puzzle-like hmm. nature. Very Lynchian of him. Yeah, and even in that Lynchian way, he has come out and said as much that he is sort of oftentimes refused to elaborate on the narrative, like the plot itself, not the themes, because that's usually where the conversation moves towards. 
But the story and the lore of it is something that even to this day is hotly contested. Yeah. Know, or even still being expounded upon. Yeah. Like, and not just in anime and manga, but in like books and video games and even in advertising and weird like merchandising. Uh, Japan has had a field day just tearing the canon apart and rebuilding it for different purposes over that time. And we're going to do it too. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say is normally if you were talking about this show with somebody that doesn't care you probably would test their patience and sensibility yeah, like for sure because it's just it's just so complicated i found myself trying to explain it to one of ali's cousins at like a party once and, oh god and, and <laughs> like god. halfway through i was like i need to stop <laughs> she's like drifting off but so we're gonna try to explain neon genesis evangelion the original series and its follow-up feature film end of evangelion because it is good to in my opinion to delineate between the two mm-hmm. but we're gonna try to explain the series to you and the funny thing is is that uh when the series ended I still had no idea what had just happened. I was kind of left thinking, like, what did I just watch? That can't be the end. I was kind of, like, upset by it because it felt so abrupt. You're talking about when the show ended? Yeah. Yeah. And I was so confused. I had to, like, actually Google what happened in Neon Genesis Evangelion. And what I read had nothing to do with the actual 26 episodes I had just watched. So before I tell you like what the show is actually about, as far as like the themes that can be extracted, sort of as Gabe was explaining, here is what happens in the original 26 episodes. And be warned, there's a lot of terminology that gets thrown out. So as the viewer, you have no idea what it is. Oftentimes you just kind of have to catch up on it, sort of like Game of Thrones. When you're watching that, you kind of have to Google a lot or have someone explain it to you. But we're going to do the same thing in this recap. A lot of terminology. If you don't know some of it, we'll do our best to explain it. All right. So here we go. Buckle in. Gib and I are going to take turns, by the way. It'll be fun. It's like popcorn reading when you're popcorn. in elementary school. Page two. <laughs> Steven has printed out a small book just for explaining <laughs> the plot of this first show. Ten, I've written ten pages here. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. Buckle in, listener. So, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Abridged. A 14-year-old named Shinji shows up to a futuristic town in Japan called Tokyo 3. Or rather, Tokyo 2 and Tokyo 3 is uh, the submerged town beneath it that we come to find. I, I think thought this, it was this, called Tokyo 3. I think Tokyo 3, here we go, we're already <laughs> off track. Tokyo 3 was the uh, what they called specifically the submerged city, this like the, the no, undercity. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's all Tokyo 3. Maybe it is. But I think Tokyo 2 is is the name they would use. They didn't really use it at all, but it was specifically referred to, or it was meant for the city where all the battles take place. It's like the decoy city. And then Tokyo 3 is the actual city underneath. But I might be wrong. Anyway, everything, we get lost in the details. We're just going to try to move through this. (laughs) That was the first sentence. (laughs) That was the first sentence. So we meet up with Shinji, who meets up with a woman named Misato Katsuragi, who works for this organization called Nerve. Nerve exists to protect the world from attacks from these large monsters they call angels. 
Shinji's dad is there, Gendo Ikari, seemingly as head of operations. He works in the shadows and doesn't even greet his son when he arrives. Shinji hasn't seen his dad in years. We come to learn that Shinji's mom, Yui, has passed and then his dad basically abandoned him 11 years ago. Sad. It is sad. As soon as Shinji arrives, there is an angel attacking Tokyo 3. They try to send military forces to attack it, but nothing happens. Katsuragi takes Shinji deep down into the earth, under the city, into this massive bunker, and there he meets a woman scientist who seems to be in charge of everything. Her name is Ritsuko Akagi. They basically tell him that he has to pilot this big robot monster thing that they've been working on. He freaks out, and he only does it when he sees this other young girl named Rei Ayanami, injured from trying to pilot a different big robot. These robots are called Evangelians. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> You want to take the next one, too? <laughs> sure. His Evangelion is called Unit 1, and he is the third children, basically meaning there were two other pilots before him. Rei is first children. Shinji says yes and beats the angel, but has a traumatic time doing so. To pilot one of these robots, you essentially have to bond with it and be submerged into and breathe in this liquid they call LCL and you feel the pain it feels as it's battling. It's pretty intense. Yeah, especially for Shinji who has no training whatsoever yeah. for this sort of thing. Imagine like trying to pilot like a plane. Like someone's like, hey, you gotta pilot the plane. And you're like, what the hell? <laughs> and you can feel everything the plane feels? Yeah. <laughs> so toward the end of this battle, Shinji loses control and the Evangelion goes berserk, seemingly turning into more than a machine, more like a monster and they end up defeating the angel that way. Throughout the anime, this happens many more times, and they defeat many more aliens. Shinji's father, Gendo, never really even acknowledges that he's in front of him, or his seeming success being an Ava pilot. He's very cold. Katsuragi, Misato Katsuragi, the first woman that Shinji meets when he gets to the city, feels bad for Shinji and invites him to stay with her in her apartment. There's a lot of character development in the apartment. We get some sort of insight into the everyday normal life of Shinji and Katsuragi and other people as they come to live there as well. <laughs> we basically learn that Shinji is depressed, constantly staring at the ceiling everywhere he goes. He's very unsure of himself, very insecure, and most of all, very disconnected. Shinji goes to school when he's not battling against those giant monsters. A school that we come to learn is full of potential pilots for other Evangelion. Because only 14-year-olds can pilot the Evas, this is sort of uncovered as the story goes on, he eventually teams up with Rei, the blue-haired girl who is dubbed First Children, and they have more of a co-working connection. There's something sort of off about her, almost lifeless, strange. And there is another one of his classmates named Toji Suzuhara. He eventually becomes the fourth children for a hot minute until his unit gets taken over by an angel and almost dies. They get Rei's Evangelion Unit Zero up again and running, and her and Shinji team up and fight off some angels. Shinji is freaking depressed, like really depressed, because he still feels alone. And his dad's a dick, and his mom's dead. And it's a traumatic thing, too. Like, it's understandable that he... Yeah, he's not being melodramatic yeah, or something. Yeah. Anyway, they bring another 14-year-old pilot from Germany named Asuka Soryu. She is the second children and pilots Eva Unit 2. 
she's sort of a hothead, like a cocky son of a gun. Her and Shinji have this love-hate relationship, and the whole show seems to be kind of trying to get these two kids together romantically. Uh, it never fully takes place, but there's a lot of that suggestion. A lot of shipping. A lot of ship. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fans love shipping. <laughs> They fight many angels, sometimes and often coming close to death. True. These kids are often going through traumatic near-death experiences, and it weighs on them psychologically. Shinji tries to even leave at one point, just I, he, maybe even twice, he just tries to, to leave and run away mm-hmm. from his troubles. Also because his dad's like super overbearing. Yeah. But it basically comes down to the final five or six episodes, and there are a few major reveals here. The first one is that a secret organization is introduced. It's spelled SEAL, like S-E-E-L-E, but it's pronounced Zella. So... Zella. 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 (laughs) You have to say it with an accent. I'm not gonna. Okay. So a secret organization is introduced called Zella, that it appears Gendo, sort of Shinji's dad, I know we're throwing a lot of names at you, is reporting to. They seem to be sort of like an Illuminati, United Nations kind of organization, kind of all working toward a few different goals, and you're not really sure what they are. But it also seems like no one can really agree, especially like Gendo seems sort of resentful towards Zella, etc. And there are a lot of in-universe vocabulary words they use when you see them meet. And you hear the words human instrumentality project, first impact, second impact, third impact, uh, the names Adam and Lilith, Spear of Longinus. Longinus. <laughs> the first impact is something you hear earlier in the show. You're not quite sure what it was, but it was a prehistoric thing that may have started the human race, potentially. Yeah, it's kind of piece it together. Then there was a second impact that apparently killed a lot of life on Earth. I think it was like roughly half of the global population. This is what starts off the events of the show yeah, about 15, 15 years, years ago, ago. Yeah, about a year before Shinji was born, and it created the new landscape of the Earth that mm-hmm. we see in the series. Mm-hmm. The third impact apparently is something they are trying to prevent. Yep. Like the final catastrophe to end humanity. Yeah, and then somehow Adam and Lilith are sort of referred to as angels uh, and had something to do with the first impact. Uh, there's also this idea that... Uh, Adam is Lilith or Lilith is Adam. It's sort of unclear. This is the deep lore that yeah. the average viewer will not be able to, to, yeah. to decipher. But it's important <laughs> for what I said earlier about not understanding what the show is about until the end. And I'll, and I'll get there. But the human instrumentality project is super unclear what it actually is. Uh, they talk about unifying humanity. And it seems that some of the people are disagreeing on whether or not to implement it or if it's necessary. So back to the story, the real meat and potatoes here. Shinji has moments of human connection with others, but is still essentially depressed in the end. We find out the reason Asuka is a dick is because her mom was literally mentally ill and she has resorted to a childlike state. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, I think she's like almost a vegetable. Like it's almost unresponsive. yeah, yeah, yeah. But she used to be abusive, right? Yes. Uh, was it? Like like uh, psychologically abusive because of her mental illness. Yeah. yeah. And then Asuka further internalizes that and 
she creates like a whole condition, yeah. a whole complex. We find out some backstory on the scientist girl. Ritsugo Akagi essentially is so instrumental because her mom was the software engineer that built the framework for how Nerve works, including the, what do they call their computer again? It's like a trinity of artificial hive mind. More lore. Yeah, more lore. Ritsuko also has inside info on Rei, the blue-haired, inhuman Eva pilot. Ritsuko Akagi takes Shinji at one point and Katsuragi down into some vault and shows them that essentially Rei is a clone, and that's why she's so lifeless. Bum, bum, bum. She goes on to say to Shinji that Shinji's mom was killed and that her soul was somehow trapped or placed inside the Evangelion Unit 1, the one that he's been piloting, which is why he had such a tight bond with it, because apparently, even as a pilot, it is hard to bond with an EVA unit. Uh, but Shinji's EVA mecha robot monster, and that Rei is sort of a person, physical vessel clone of his mom, Yui, that is inhabited by sort of an artificial intelligence that they kind of created to inhabit the vessels, that the clone vessels that they created. So ba- in, in brief... Yeah, it's insane. In brief, these pilots connect their EVAs because their mom's souls are essentially inside the machine, which allows them to sync with the robot. And Rei... Is that confirmed that it's... All the moms? All the moms? Uh, I think so. Because Asuka's mom's soul is inside her unit? That's basically it. And that's what caused her mom to be insane. Slash a vegetable was because that process did that to her. And Toji's mom was in unit three? Toji, it's not really explained, nor any of the other pilots in the original show, but it's basically, that's the working assumption. And then, yeah, Ray is... (sighs) All right, I'll buy it. Okay, again, (laughs) deep lore, deep lore. Ray is basically a clone of Shinji's mom. With what you might call a consciousness, she's sort of a, she doesn't have much of a They said sort of it was like an artificial intelligence yeah. that they kind of put inside of her. Basically. Still with us? A fifth children shows up. <laughs> this dude comes out of nowhere. He was sent by Zella for nefarious reasons, presumably. So in a moment where Shinji is most broken and disconnected, not close to his dad or really anybody for that matter. Not close to Asuka, Rei Katsuragi, who he was living with. Toji, who was severely wounded because of him. Yeah, He's com- super broken at this point. <laughs> like, it's things are real bad for his mental state. Yeah. And then this other pilot comes into the picture, sent by Zela, and his name is Kaworu Nagisa. The first part is, gives me trouble. Over the course of the episode, this is like right, this is like episode 24. All this with this character is in 24. So not a lot of time spent with him, but it's pretty important. Mm-hmm. It shows an expanded sense of time that, I'm just going to say Nagisa and Shinji, they become close. It's very clear that Shinji starts to connect and feel understood by Kaworu. At a certain point, the character even says, I love you to Shinji. And fans still debate to this day, maybe more recently because uh, the way Netflix changed the dub and the sub. But uh, the confusion, or rather the debate is around whether or not... It's platonic or or romantic. romantic. Yeah. I have some thoughts on that, but we can come back to it. We'll come back to it. (laughs) It turns out that Kaworu is essentially Adam incarnate. Again, Adam and Lilith are names that Zello is we're talking about, the organization that we were introduced to in the last like six episodes. Should this mean anything to the viewers at the time with only three episodes left? Probably, <laughs> but most most first time viewers are not connecting these dots. And I, I definitely wasn't. I was like, okay, Adam, I know Adam's important, but I have no idea why. But they <laughs> but they are calling him sort of an angel. Mm-hmm. So he's the uh, first 
person angel. Yeah. Because before there have been angels that have come kind of, they're always kind of some sort of monster. And they've, but they've become increasingly more abstract. The point where like before this guy, angels were just now like giant strings in the sky. Or a virus (laughs) or one of them inhabited the Ava unit itself. So this is the first time it's a person Mm -hmm. and you're like, wait, what are, what are angels exactly? What's happening? Yeah. Anyway, so Adam, an angel, is inside of the fifth children. He is the last angel Shinji and Asuka have to fight, essentially. And his goal is to reach the bottom of Nerve, essentially because he's trying to reach Lilith or Adam at the bottom. It's sort of unclear. It is funny because it's like, is Adam trying to reach himself? You know, it's like some sort of Adam incarnate. You're unsure what it is. Well, it's, I think the joining of Adam and Lilith, Lilith starts the instrumentality. So, because that's why Zila sent him there. I thought it started the third impact. Is the third impact? The third impact impact basically is instrumentality. Okay. Yeah. The end of life, they say. Conventional life. Yeah. (laughs) The end of our world. So, it's see, this is how unclear the lore actually (laughs) is. We're still taught, we're like, well, well, yeah. (laughs) So, Asuka gets badly injured in this process of trying to battle the angel. Again, Adam. And the angel Adam incarnate reaches the bottom and discovers that this creature that we've seen before that we thought was Adam is actually Lilith. And he says they are alike, but instead of executing his plan, he tells Shinji that he has decided that Shinji should live instead of himself. So after a long dramatic pause, Shinji, using Unit 1, squishes Kaoru. And this is at the end of episode 24. Afterwards, Shinji is filled with remorse and regret, questioning why he should be allowed to be alive. Yeah. When Kaworu was a better person than him, ultimately. And he just furthers his self-doubt, self-hatred, questioning why he killed his friend, who was Adam Incarnate, or really questioning why he does anything at all. This this is basically his lowest, like his new lowest point. Every point is his new lowest point, and now we're here at the bottom. Well, there's always something that happens, and then he gets lower and lower and lower psychologically, mentally. Yeah. Which sets the stage ultimately for our two-part finale that Steve will tell you about. Okay. So begins the infamous final two episodes of the original Neon Genesis Evangelion series, episodes 25 and 26. What a banger. They're infamous because they're very much not an ending that you would want as a fan of anything. (laughs) Basically. They're not conventional in any way. And they don't really tell you what happens to any of the characters that you've come to know. And so this is how the show ended. (laughs) Okay, here I go. To summarize this, the human instrumentality project seemingly begins. Again, which Zella was originally talking about unification or something. The transcendence of human life to the next stage of evolution. Okay. So, which is actually the conjoining of all human life into one existence. One mind, one physical space, one being, one individual. These two episodes show this essentially only following Shinji's mind as it becomes one with everyone else. In this instance, mostly the people he knows and loves. So it's not showing you like everyone in the world, just the people he knows in the show. So essentially, what we see is a psychological deconstruction of thought process, thought patterns, human emotions, interactions and actions. Uh, We see a question on the screen or an idea in written form, and then we hear the voice of Shinji respond to it. Uh, This happens over and over for two 20-minute episodes. It even takes a step in a meta direction when the art style becomes more and more deconstructed from being the anime style we have all been watching to simple 
pencil lines on a blank white page. It even gets even more meta when the show shows actual live-action real-life footage of real people in the real world until Shinji finally reaches the conclusion that his life is worth existing and so is everyone else's. That's something that he wants. And this is a huge revelation for the character of Shinji. So the final scene is him surrounded by everyone we know from the show cheering him on and saying congratulations and clapping and applauding him. Congratulations. And that's how the show ends. It just ends right there. Can you imagine? No, it's like, I it's can't. Like the, it's like the original Lost finale. Well, that is... The, I, I think about that, and I think that's why I love Lost so much, and <laughs> that's why I love this so much, is because, because of the ambiguity. But personally, I was so confused by what I had just watched, and I had this feeling of, um, uh, I think it's good, I'm unsure. So I took to Google to try to figure out what the heck I just watched, and I Googled and found this amazing article. I, I literally Googled... <laughs> What happened in the, in the on Genesis Evangelion? I think that's what I Googled. Uh, and I found this article from medium.com. Some of it, again, because the plot is so vague, they do make a couple leaps to kind of make some assumptions uh, based in the subtext of the show that uh, I don't necessarily agree with. But anyway, this is what I read in the summary of the show from uh, medium.com. Basically, Evangelion is a story about two aliens who come to populate the same planet by accident with the souls of their dead friends by making vessels for them to be reincarnated in. They fight, Shinji whines a bit, they merge, they decide the whole thing is silly and call it off. Again, that last part obviously is like super reductionist and tongue-in-cheek, but all the stuff about the aliens and the, the souls and the vessels, I'm like, what the heck? I read that and was like, how the hell was I supposed to put that together from those 26 episodes? It made no sense, like bonkers sense mm-hmm. to me. Um, You're not alone. Well, yeah, I wasn't the only one. Because <laughs> apparently, like, the fans of the series, this is where I kind of had talked about the death threats and stuff. Well, fans of the series, when it first aired, were furious with how the show ended, and they even sent death threats to Hideaki Anno. Uh, and he, but he stuck to his guns, sort of saying that those final two episodes were the final two episodes of the series and the ending of the show that he wanted to make. But because the final two episodes took place essentially in the Mind Palace, mm-hmm. um, he relented and made a 90-minute, essentially three-episode movie that finished and told the story of what happened in the physical space of the world to the world we had come to know while watching the anime. So this final chapter and what really is the story ending of the show we had all come to love is called The End of Evangelion. Beautifully said. So right here, (laughs) Stephen, I think, is a good place to take a break and hear from our sponsor. (gasps) (gasps) Do you feel alone? Have you ever had feelings of self-doubt, self-hatred, or self-loathing? Do you ever wonder, is there more to my place in the world than my measly existence? Maybe you ask, why do I exist? Is anything worth waking up for? What is the purpose of getting out of bed? Is anything worth anything at all? 
Have I seen the ceiling before? Does anybody like me? What am I? Is it okay for me to be here? No one understands me. No one understands me. No one wants me. Everybody would be the same, even if I wasn't here. Why do I have a heart? The world would be better off if I didn't exist. Who am I? Who are you? Well, we have good news. You are not alone. And soon, you will never be alone again. Introducing the Human Instrumentality Project. For the one-time cost of your eternal soul, you too can be part of the next stage of humanity's evolution. As you begin to reconcile your internal conflicts, you will soon realize loneliness no more. While you are forcibly merged with billions of thoughts that are not your own, come be reunited with the rest of your species in one consciousness, in a massive vat of metaphysical ooze. It's so good to have you here. Yes! 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 Welcome. Now. We are one. Congratulations. Wow, we haven't done a commercial in a while. That's true. It's been a, a while. It's been a long while. Why haven't we done a commercial in a while? Because no one will sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> That's not why. Because I've this podcast is too hot. I've had no gusto, no no extra energy to to put fun in this. You know, in yeah, these episodes. we're very serious on this podcast. So no, 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 no. To to <laughs> you know even write that you know takes energy and time yeah. and we have to be a little bit creative. Yeah. We have day jobs, people. We don't get paid to do this. And Steven's got a family. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> anyway, so now now we're going to summarize really quick what happens in the end of Evangelion. And you thought you were feeling a little melancholic. Wait till you get a load of this. <laughs> this is my favorite part. Yeah, things get crazy here. So a brief summary of what happens in the end of Evangelion, which is the 1997 feature to... Depending on who you talk to, either completely retell and reinvent the finale or add to it, which is how I like to look at it. So, oh, some people didn't like it? No, no, no nobody liked it. Wait, but what? It's, it, yeah, 
the response was similar. Uh, it, there was an outrage from I many. Thought, I thought it helped understand the it's show It's like The so Last much. Jedi for the anime because a lot of people loved the chances it took, but a lot of people were, were still unhappy because how brutal it was and how relentlessly pessimistic and cynical it was. And that's why, again, I said, depending on who you talk to, because some people don't view it as that. Also, it's, like I said, either a retelling or additive to the original finale of Neon Genesis Evangelion. Oh, crazy. Like, the way I like to think of it is it, it's what's happening outside yeah. Shinji's body while yeah. 25 and 26 are inside. That wasn't originally its intent. It that's was, why I try to say, like, it's it's what happens in the physical space of the world that we had come to know and love yeah. in the show while everything else was happening in the mind palace. And I'm saying that's all good and well for yeah. interpretation. Oh. But Hide- like the original intent was for it to be just completely replaced 25 and 26 with this. And so there's arguments for and against that opinion. Crazy. But let's talk about what actually is happening in this movie. Yeah. This movie picks up before episodes 25 and 26, basically right where 24 left us, when Shinji is still self-loathing and back into an intense depression. He visits Asuka in the hospital from their last encounter of trying to stop Adam's final assault on Lilith. He has a brief sexual moment with Asuka that makes him hate himself even more. Yep. It's a, should we say what it is? They can watch it. Yeah, you can watch it. Th- this, by the way, there's nudity in the end of Evangelion. There wasn't in the original series. They did a lot of fan service. A lot service, of fan service, yeah. But there's actual nudity in this movie. Yeah. It's just FYI. Yeah. Maybe that's weird for some of you. Maybe that turns you on. <laughs> Gabe? Nope. Okay. <laughs> so Shinji's basically a shell for most of this movie. Yeah. Heads down, being yeah. literally dragged along by... Masato or other characters. Yeah. He's basically Doesn't at the Masato end of this. kiss him in this? I totally agree. Yeah, she kisses him in not really a romantic way. Or maybe it wasn't it was It reminded me of the kiss in like the sandlot when the lifeguard kisses squints. Yeah, kind you know of. Yeah. Lotioning. <laughs> Oiling. I think it was it was like cause she also has this little spiel and this is right before she, it. she's well, we should tell the listener. Uh Masato's like maybe in her mid to late thirties. She's twenty nine. Oh, yeah. You know the age of Masato? I read the wiki. Wow. And all of our main characters Gabe's are 14. Gabe's a wiki guy. It's literally one click. Yeah. Okay. All she's right. 29. All right. Well, she's significantly <laughs> older. She's like double his age. So. Yeah, I guess so when you put it like that. <laughs> but yeah. So Zella, the secret organization, sends a bunch of military forces to attack Tokyo 3 or 2, whatever, and Nerve. They say they say Nerve, but it's... Nerve. I'm going to call it Nerve. And they do this because basically their plan failed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because... Gaoru was like, Adam, fuck this shit, I'm out. Adam decided to let Shinji decide. So Asuka wakes back up and fights them off in her Eva. That's like one of the coolest scenes yeah. in the movie. Well, that's not true. It gets way cooler, but it depends, depends on how sadistic you are. She fights <laughs> Zayla not only in addition to like ground troops and tanks and stuff. Zayla sends like mass-produced white shark-like Evas, and that's what Asuka fights. They're these really scary-looking hybrid Avas that we haven't seen before. Remember those guys? These things, like Steven said, they fight Asuka and they absolutely eviscerate her. Yeah. There's a great, probably the best fight sequence in the entire series before, you know, like the rebuild films. But she ultimately loses and dies. Yeah. There is an explanation of what Adam and Lilith are here 
they are from an ancient race, this progenitor race. They're from the same race, where these godlike creatures, they're usually each planet gets one, and that's what seeds life into the planet. The story here, the conflict, is that Earth accidentally got two. We don't know why or how, but it was a clerical error. Whoops. Yeah, it's big whoopsie, and that's what Adam and Lilith are, so that's why they're warring, because they're each trying to have dominion over this planet. There's the aliens. Uh, yeah. So all angels essentially are aliens. Uh, yes. Specifically, all angels are spawned from Adam, and all humans are spawned from Lilith. That's why, over the course of the show, characters will refer to humans as Lilin, as spawn of Lilith. That's why angels and humans are fighting, because angels who come from Adam, or the original drop from our alien progenitor race, Lilith came after, which is why we have less of a claim to the planet, but we always think of ourselves as the heroes in any story we tell. There's another level of meta commentary from you. Oh, wow, yeah, that's true. But yeah, so honestly, the angels have the right to be here, and we're just fucking around. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, yeah, so while Gendo, again, Shinji's dad, is deep, deep down under Nerve. Again, Nerve is underground, big, big facility. And he's getting closer to what he thinks is the Human Instrumentality Project. He's essentially trying to reunite himself with his wife, his wife Yui. He tries to merge another form of Adam, not Kawaro, to Lilith. When Rei, again, who is a clone of Yui, Shinji's mom, uh, has been watching the whole time, she steps in and chops off Gendo's hand. With her stomach. <laughs> yep. She absorbs his hand. She resorbs his hand. And then this Rei is different. She's kind of like an entity outside of physical space. And she also seems to have some sort of her feelings or impressions from her being Shinji's mom about like what it meant to be a mother and feelings towards Shinji. So this Ray merges with Lilith again, this it Lilith is essentially at the bottom. <laughs> what's up? What's up? It's so complicated. Like, this creature, like Gabe said that all human life came from is essentially crucified at the bottom of nerve. Yeah. And that's why the angels have been attacking. They're trying to attack to get down to the bottom of Nerve to reach Lilith mm -hmm. to essentially what claim their right to the planet. Yeah, either destroy it or to start, you know, instrumentality. Anyway, so Lilith merges with Ray and becomes this giant glowing Ray. Yeah. Ray who has Adam. So the three of those entities merge. Yep, they they're all merged. Yeah. Shinji's mom. <laughs> clone. Lilith and Adam. And then also, yeah, a Adam's inside. So, <laughs> so they go to find Shinji. He's inside of Ava Unit 1. And this giant glowing cosmic ray merges with Shinji. And this begins the Human Instrumentality Project. So there's essentially another version of episodes 25 and 26 here. As we see another psychological deconstruction of consciousness becoming one. Yeah. A lot of the same questions of existence and purpose are brought up here as Shinji battles with internal voices so true. that take the shape of other people in his life. Asuka, Katsuragi, etc. Yeah, they basically just revisit all that. They do. Uh, Postmodern, expressionistic cartoon filmmaking in the third act of this film. There are shots here of the creatures that are following the Lilith Ray entity. This is the white Evas that we were yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah. And they turn into crosses, this Christian symbolism. Yeah, really strange. And then Ray going around to basically everyone on the planet, making them explode. Or turn into goo. Yeah, sometimes both. <laughs> it is actually crazy. The wide, the wide shot is just of the earth, thousands of lights. I mean, 
hundreds of thousands of lights just literally blinking out with millions of screams happening all over the place. Basically, the entire planet is being Human popped. instrumentality. Yeah. Instrumentality has begun, and people are starting to merge into a singular cosmic blob. Yeah, there's a bit more to it, but ultimately, because Lilith, Ray, Entity chose Shinji and Unit 1 to start the Human Instrumentality Project, Shinji, after realizing he wants to live, stops the Human Instrumentality Project, and it's never completed. Yeah, he gets to choose. And, yeah, and that's because of these things that we haven't even talked about yet called AT fields, which are essentially another terminology that they talk about, which is like um, a physical expression of like a wall that you put up that comes from an emotional space within yourself so the anti-AT fields are when you take those walls down those emotional walls or those barriers that we have between each other but when you put up an emotional barrier they're like scientific term as an AT field so Shinji essentially decides he wants to live and he puts up the AT field and it blocks human instrumentality and then uh, it just stops at that point. <laughs> yeah. This is why I like using episodes 25 and 26 of the original series in conjunction with this movie is because this is the moment where yeah, in both sort of Shinji decides that he is okay being himself, whatever that means, and an individual, which is why he puts up his field, you know, and basically stops instrumentality. Yeah. So the end of Evangelion ends, ultimately with Shinji waking up on a beach. In a world that looks completely barren and post-apocalyptic, because we stopped instrumentality halfway, or more than halfway, everything is red. There are floating creatures in the sky just suspended there. The white avas from earlier, who were like the parts of Adam that were part of the whole cosmic alchemical process of instrumentality that are just left there now as trash because they have no purpose anymore. These atom spawn, right? Yes. He looks around, Shinji does, now fully aware and awake after all this has happened, after realizing he wants to live, and he has kind of, at least for now, beat his battle with depression. He looks over, and Asuka is laying there on the beach next to him, and he sort of mounts her and begins to choke her or something it's really weird uh and she's non-responsive possibly dead and maybe just a figment of his imagination and then eventually after a short while she blinks and says disgusting and then it ends cuts the black (laughs) i read another translation of the original japanese has it saying something like i feel sick uh so either way it's incredibly ambiguous yep what is happening on screen right before we cut to black after we have just stopped the apocalypse or have we it's really is it still in his mind you don't know yeah all right and that's where the end of evangelion ends so first and foremost before gabe and i jump sort of into telling you about how we feel about the show and its importance in place in pop culture uh there's something you should know if you haven't already kind of put it together but it's that while creating the series, the creator Hideaki Anno was going through and dealing with massive depression. Mm. Uh, so obviously he wrote that into Shinji's character and it is laced throughout every interaction and word spoken and all the self doubt, insecurity, questions of worth. It all came from Hideaki Anno 
and what he was dealing with at the time of making it. Yeah, and I and I also heard that while he was dealing with depression and making this this anime anime anime, <laughs> that someone gave him this book of psychology to go through about how our thoughts and minds work and uh, the existential questions we have and how to navigate through them. And that is where a lot of the original ending episodes 25 and 26 came from. To expand upon that, because I was reading the same stuff from a bit of a different context, because I was trying to explore Hideaki as an individual to give more understanding, if possible, to the show, because it is, it is very much a part of himself, an extension of himself. But that literature that you mentioned that him he came across, which informed the ending of the show. So as the story goes, he stumbled across that, or not stumbled, it was, it was very intentional. He I, thought, was, I thought a friend gave it to him. Yeah, a friend gave it to him. In the cosmic sense, he stumbled across <laughs> it. But a friend gave him that literature. I'm not sure what its name was in Japanese, but he was searching for material basically halfway through the show, I think around episode 14 or 16 or something, to give Rei to like further her character arc. And at this point, Hideaki Anno was very depressed for many reasons. We can explore a little bit more. But he... Uh, I don't know. Why. He had been depressed for about four years leading up to this point for different reasons, stuff that had been going sideways in his career uh, from projects past. Oh, dang. And that's what he channeled into this anime. But he didn't have the language to describe or deal with what he was going through. And it was that literature that you mentioned that mm-hmm. he discovered halfway through Evangelion mm-hmm. that gave him the context in his own life to establish that he was clinically depressed. And, yeah. and so it was... Yeah. You know, at that point, he understood his situation, but that sort of it did inform the rest of the direction for the anime, the original series, to like keep going down this dark path because now, now he was fully grasping and grappling with his depression instead of it just being something that he was like, "Oh, I'm struggling right now." Oh, um, and that's why, in in conjunction with the original production of the show having a lot of time and budgetary constraints and problems and sort of rushing into the finale that it, it became uh, kind of a very complicated development process and very frustrating for him to work on. And so you'll, you'll read a lot of reports too saying, Oh, episodes 25 and 26, it was kind of like, you know, just thrown together at the end. And that's maybe one of the reasons why Hideaki himself has revisited the franchise so many times is because he wanted to better tell the story and end the story that he had originally intended for. Uh, but in, yeah, anyway, you spin it, uh, Hideaki Yano was very, in a, he was in a very bad place during this time. And he's, he's kind of come back and forth uh, over the course of the last 25 years back into that place. Like right after he finished the third Evangelion film, uh, the rebuild films that we'll not talk too much about today. But he all, he fell into a depression again, and is that why it took so long to get the fourth one done? Yeah, it's part of it. Do you know why? Who can say? You know, <laughs> but ultimately, uh, I'm sure a factor of it was public response. Like generally, people didn't really like his third rebuild film because it didn't have as much going on. It was much. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that more next time. But his his depression has always come from basically kind of. I mean, in my armchair assessment. I'm not a doctor. I know. But his tortured artist persona, and that's why I wanted to talk about like otaku culture a little bit. He sounds like a four on the Enneagram. Fours are like notoriously all about their art. And then yeah. and then if they come from a dark place, mm-hmm. they like even get depressed often when things aren't received or they're too critical about their work. 
you know, their whole goal is to be as individualistic as possible and like yeah. do, do something meaningful. But they, when, when they don't succeed, they often get depressed because of it. For sure. And I'm, he's always poured himself. I'm glad he like always came back to like finish his work, you know? Because how hard must that be to be depressed and come back and like be able to like finish the work that made you depressed? You know what I mean? Yeah. Instead of actually just. Yep. <laughs> it's pretty heavy. It, Neon Genesis Evangelion was like, it was like so much of himself that that's sort of, it, it exhausted him, hmm. not just emotionally and spiritually, but like, I don't think he was ever entirely happy with it, even though he would, you know, basically stand by each ending as it happened and say like, this is what it is. Yeah. But yeah, there is something to be said about going back and living with recreating your most personal property, you know, over the course of your life. For 30 years almost, he's been working on Evangelion. And even now he is, he said basically, I'm done with it for now, but who's to say, you know, if I don't come back to these characters in the future, even though at this point, I think it's best to be left (laughs) in antiquity. Yeah. I mean, the next step would be taking it to a broader audience and making it live action. I can't. Which they had at one point started to do, but I don't, anime has a, has a very poor track record of uh, translating to live action. I don't trust them, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't trust anyone. Uh, but yeah, so I think it's integral to understanding this anime. It, it's very important to understand Hideaki Anno. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And, and otaku culture because Hideaki Anno might be the quintessential otaku man. Like, you know. Himself? Yeah. He came out for those. I guess we could just mention that briefly now. Otaku uh, culture? Now that we've summarized the anime. <laughs> otaku culture is important in anime. Uh, in the fa- like in a real world sense, so otaku just means basically where a person's life becomes so consumed with pop culture that it becomes a detriment to their the rest of their lives, like mm. their social life. And in Japan, that specifically revolves around that that word is usually reserved for uh, anime fans, yeah. where it becomes an obsessive yeah. desire to consume anime. We talk about this or manga a little bit on the Castlevania podcast too. Yeah, here it is again. So that that to say. Hideaki Anno, and coming out of that time in Japan, you know, post-war generations searching for their own identity and their mm-hmm, culture, mm-hmm. and that that sense of otaku solidified in the '80s, and that's where gotcha. Hideaki Anno came up uh, in his 20s in the '80s. That's where he started his work, mm-hmm. and that's sort of where the discussion moves into like, what is Neon Genesis Evangelion inside of both that industry and for the world at large? And this is why. I- it was such a pop cultural impact. Yeah. Because mecha anime has been around in different ways. And this is another podcast. You mean like Gundam and stuff? Yeah. Gundam was, and continues to be like the cornerstone of, of anime. Mecha is like giant robots fighting other, either giant robots or monsters, which they call kaijus. But another good example would be Robotech, which was a, three-part anime that was actually taken from three separate Japanese animes brought to America and then made to be like a um, three-season show, but it was taken from three separate animes. Yeah. And so as those IPs started to get rolling in the 80s and then into the 90s, we've created uh, an industry around yeah that style of anime. And then Neon Genesis Evangelion comes in in the mid-90s and basically kills it throws everything on its head quite literally completely inverts and subverts 
not just mecha anime, but um, I guess you could say in a lot of ways, anime as an art form, as as a form of entertainment in general. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons why I think it's so iconic. And we can discuss some of those things now, but basically it's this, it's because it is this sort of postmodern expressionistic critique of of everything mm-hmm. and so specifically in anime that would mean like these heroic characters you know battling monsters and and instead neon genesis evangelion was these incredibly <laughs> led by shinji this incredibly flawed and depressing honestly cast of characters grappling with their own problems and that's what the anime is about the plot was always second fiddle to the character study and it would take you in dark places, really. And it was something that I think people had never seen before in that way. This this story of trauma and depression, loneliness, isolation, grief, all these more darker topics and themes that were really presented in this way, unprecedented. So, and then for it to end in such a in such a bizarre way, doubling down on all those ideas with. Yeah. Both the finale and the movie. Yeah. Well, that's that's something I wanted to talk about really quick, too, is that... So to compare it to Lost, one of the reasons that people didn't like the Lost ending is because it didn't answer a lot of the questions that were introduced about the lore of Lost and, you know, what is the smoke monster actually, you know? That question was not answered. The question that was answered were the story and plot questions that had to do with the character development to finish the character story arcs. These people, you know, meeting, coming together and basically dying together because of their importance in each other's lives. That was the point of Lost. The device and how that story was told was through, you know, all the sci-fi stuff. And so here again, we see in Evangelion, I guess we saw it again with Lost, but here in Evangelion, we see no answers when it comes to the lore, but we see answers when it comes to the healing and the, I guess, finishing in a way of the character development, the completing of how these characters become developed and fully more whole just as a person, as an individual. And we see them succeed in their inward space and in their minds rather than knowing what the heck actually happened in the show. And so it has a very, very large parallel to not just Lost, but other shows have done this. But it's these shows that that want to kind of explore this psychological space and the impact that we all have on one another as coexisting humans on planet Earth. And I think those shows, in my opinion, are often the most beautiful ones and the most um, meaningful to me personally, which is why I love Lost. I love Evangelion now. Yeah, that's totally true. And there, there's a lot in there. Like we're, we're still really only scratching the surface for what this anime has. And a lot of those ideas, like some of the more technical points of the plot or the lore, they don't have conclusive endings. And that's why it's been such a point of, uh, it's such a talking point for 20 years is because people are still trying to discover what is this anime really about? What are all these things that are in it? Because there's so much in it. Everything, even just talking about like the biblical allusions mm-hmm. or the symbolism, like mm-hmm. that stuff doesn't even really have a, a resolve. It's just there to add texture to the anime. And some of it's not even there. It's just shown in the opening title montage with, with the, the pop song that plays, you know? Yeah. Done beautifully by Yoko Takahashi. Funny story, really quick. 
when they asked her, they approached her about making writing the song for the theme of Evangelion. Because um, every anime has like a like a pop song that plays in the theme. She was like, uh, yeah, maybe. So they, they gave her a videotape and she watched like the first like two to three minutes and then turned it off and then wrote the song. And that's all she had ever seen in the show, <laughs> which is, is pretty amazing. That's funny. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. There's also like levels on levels of uh, psychoanalytic references here. Everything from Freud to Carl Jung. Even even the very like nature of the Evangelion of crawling into this LCL fluid is like it's just it's bleeding with psychoanalytic language and references and properties. There's great meta commentary on fandom itself. Like it's funny watching some of the ending sequences and end of Evangelion where where it's getting very deconstructiony and Hideaki even inserted snippets of some of those death threats you mentioned mm. into the movie. Like when you're seeing the text on screen, those are like what? Some of the actual death threats that Really? Yeah. So imagine watching that movie in a theater as a Japanese fan of the series who were like responded to the original ending in that way and seeing your note flash up on screen in the film oh my gosh um i did not know that that happened yeah some of the stuff i originally pulled out of this when i was watching it um which spoke to me was like the whole idea of escapism or wish fulfillment which is a huge thing in anime like (laughs) anime in general is like bespoke content made for single semi-depressed men the world over so to see this like we said, subversion of tropes inside of this anime is, is pretty interesting. Even stuff like fan service, there's a whole discussion on the way Evangelion uses fan service. And if it's like, there's part of it that's just like overt and mm-hmm. um, kind of that inexcusable, like there's, there's nothing to it. It's just fluff. It's just there mm-hmm. to kind of gawk at like pornographic. Mm-hmm. And then there's the way it'll use it in some scenes where there's clearly an intent made to not only use it in a in an intentional way for the narrative for the characters but also like to subvert the way you would normally think about anime in that way i don't know there's there's a whole discussion. i haven't can even you, can you just quickly define uh fan service yeah fan service is just it's like softcore porn in your anime yeah. where it's like revealing shots of usually women specifically women they're the cleavage or something like that or them like getting out of the shower but they're like covering the bad parts you know yeah and Evangelion's often a pretty there's a lot of fan service bad uh, offender for that yeah because these characters are <laughs> young underage yeah <laughs> um, but again it, it, it's an interesting conversation there to talk about the use of it because these are adolescents going through their angsty phase you know and trying to figure that out for themselves what true. what all that means very true but um, yeah let's talk about like why it's important now because I think. That's something I've thought a lot about is when you're looking at classic, iconic landmark stories from any media or, or like in literature, especially film and television towards the end of the 20th century, is it possible to apply those things to our lives now? And I think, if anything, Evangelion and End of Evangelion have become more important than ever. Really? Because 
Of let's the, let's of the political no aspect? not even that just like on a social level politically well socially or sociopolitically yeah i i because i see i can see it both ways because the politics within our society globally i feel like the politics definitely come into play because like i mean For sure look what's happening right now at like the border with the haitians and the you know yeah the fucking idiots on the horses with the whips like that's kind of what i'm talking about like that same kind of thing happens metaphorically in this show you know 30 odd years ago so that's yeah there's so much you could pull out of it i specifically mean in regards to like each person's struggle okay with something like depression because yeah that's huge and one like one of the ways you can talk about that is because of the use of technology and its advancement in the show where we're at now and everything from social media to i'm talking about like this is an anime this is a story that is above all it's about depression like at the end of the day, what is Evangelion about? It's a single word. It's depression and the way that plays out in a person's life. In this case, Shinji. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's safe to say that we've never seen as much of a self-induced widespread case of clinical depression than now, like compared to at any point in history, because humans have always gone through shit <laughs> in history. But what we've done to ourselves with social media, and maybe I'm just getting up on my soapbox now, but it's like this anime asks a lot from the audience to be introspective and to examine themselves and others through this this spyglass of empathy, this looking glass of self-care, and what that means to address your your grief or your trauma or your depression, your inner demon, how to beat that thing. And what it means to like live your life then. Like these, the, both the original series of Evangelion and the movie have a call to action, like for that person to sort of wake up and live their life and sort of discover. That's why I think of it less, even though it's a very cynical anime, very pessimistic in tone and in narrative throughout like most of the show, it still ends on this note of hope, I guess, or at least this is the way I'm interpreting it. But it's, it's asking a person to basically get up and go outside and live their life and to sort of in a very strange way to like confront their demons or something yeah but and also to like put away childish ways of thinking and not to like get biblical because there's that verse in corinthians right when i was a child i felt like a child yeah i this is what it is to be child and to grow up and when i grew up i put childish ways behind me So maybe this is me just extrapolating, but that was the biggest takeaway for me and why I think it's more important now than ever is because there are so many, whether millennial, Generation Z, whatever, even even the kids that are being born now into the thick of it, Yeah, as you know as a father. uh, We're in this age now uh, essentially of like, uh, of an identity crisis, not as, well, both as individuals and as a culture and as a species, grappling with these same things that Shinji's going through right now. I think it's a very human and a very personal struggle that every person can relate with. So I think, I think the show is, is that it's asking a lot of the audience member to kind of both look inward and outward and discover what it is to be yourself and be happy with yourself and to build those connections with people in that positive way that it's uh, life is hard a lot of the time and it's depressing but to still find the beauty in those moments and that's why i'm excited to talk about maybe the next podcast the rebuild films because there's Mm -hmm. a whole chunk of the last rebuild film that just came out 
is basically that story. It's it's finding inside of the apocalypse, both inside and outside of a character, mm-hmm. you know, the heart and the world. Yeah. Finding those moments to live again and to, to cherish mm. every moment, I guess, that you have. And I think that's Hideaki also discovering that for himself in real time as he's living his life and he's making Evangelion time and time again. He's battling his depression and he's victorious and he comes out of it and then he sinks back in, into it again. He gets married and has new friends and new career opportunities and mentors like Miyazaki himself is a mentor and friend. Oh, really? Yeah, of Hideaki Anno. And he rises out and it's and it's just, it's up and down and that's life. And he has to try to discover those things and, and wrestle with them and wow. each other. So I don't know. That's that's what I'm taking from those it. Are, those are beautiful extrapolations. You, you can pull any, like this, no, we, I, we mentioned like Hideaki himself has said, this anime is like, uh, like a Rorschach test. You can take from it what you will. Wow, that's so fascinating. I don't think he used that verbiage exactly, but it, it is a puzzle, and those are the pieces that I've sure, sure. brought out of it. Well, those are those are beautiful extrapolations. Yeah, thanks. No, really, I, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I'm inspired. You know, just listening to you talk about it. I don't really have anything to add, and you know, I think maybe if you don't, do you have anything else you wanted to say? No, not really. We should just end on that note. just a really special series of anime and that's we haven't even like obviously i'm biased because i like weird surrealist cosmic same setting which is why you and i like this thing so much which is also why i could never do this podcast with anyone else ever (laughs) i'm sure you could you could get another kind of interesting podcast no uh well you you I appreciate that, but but j- but really, I mean, I'm, I was sitting here also while you were saying that, thinking I, I literally could never make up uh, this podcast without you, which sucks. It sucks. <laughs> Just uh, make a different podcast. No, but I'm so glad we got to finally do this because Evangelion. I, I'm not a very well watched person when it comes to anime i've seen a handful of animes in my life same we've been working through a couple now like we both just watched cowboy bebop which is amazing bebop (laughs) but and we're gonna move on to the next one this is without a doubt my favorite animated production that i've ever seen you know thus far in my life i'm still in the nascent stages of you know learning about anime yeah but there is uh such a rich story here and it's very layered and i'm I'm glad we got to kind of talk about it, even if just from a brief, like cursory, superficial yeah, conversation. Totally, you could take it any so many directions, but uh, I agree. But I think that's ultimately what it's about, and why it's 
so impactful is because it's uh it it there's not many anime that have done it this way yeah <laughs> i also you know that's been on my mind a lot lately a lot of the things you were just saying is trying to find those moments that make life worth living in the midst of hardship um and part of that is learning how to be present you yeah. know in the moment that you're in rather than being on your phone mm-hmm. while or like you know mentally maybe somewhere else while you're in front of an individual or uh, in an action that you need to be present in, you're mentally absent. Anyway, I agree with everything you said. I think it's all gold and uh, I couldn't agree more. (laughs) The one thing I will say that this show also has apart from all that stuff and the importance of what, you know, a viewer of the show could take away from it and how they can apply those aspects and those themes to their life is that the fact that it's just cool, like it creates a really cool tone. It's giant robots. Yeah. It's giant robots. And it's, it's talking about really weighty, heavy things. And it makes you feel like a kid again, which is fun. It made me feel like a kid again while I was watching it. Um, the music is really good apart from, Yoko Takahashi, who did the intro song, um, Shiro Sugisu, the way that he wrote the score and the original soundtrack, a lot of the songs are are like, there's a wide variety from one to the next, and we've been playing them throughout uh, this episode, but so you get to hear some of that, but the tone that that music creates along with the imagery and the themes of the show and, and at one moment it's very quirky, the next moment it's a very depressing and it's, so it's, it's a lot like life and it, it mimics life. But that, that tone that it creates makes it so engaging to watch. I watched this right after my second daughter was born and I was dead tired, but I couldn't stop watching. <laughs> so I like, I often would stay up until like maybe one or two in the morning, just binging this show because I, I could not stop watching it. Yeah. Um, it's pretty because of it, it's, it's gripping. There's something yeah. about it. That's, that's just mesmerizing. And anyway, I just wanted to say that it's also because of that aspect of the, the tone that it creates. Yeah. It's beautiful too. Yeah. I mean, you, the imagery is obviously the subject matter is, is crazy to look at, but even in the original show where they had budget and time constraints, I thought the animation was really good. So good. And then end of Evangelion, you know, he had time and money and it, it shows. And then with the rebuild films, they got to experiment with 3d, modeling and cgi and stuff and it it's like the fourth film is a real treat visually nice yeah anyway let's end on that note positive so that's uh evangelion come back at you again for the rebuilt films that just came out that was neon genesis evangelion and the following film the end of evangelion Mm -hmm. and thank you for joining us i hope you guys enjoyed your stay and that you now know who evangelion is who is evangelion (laughs) what's your favorite angel mine is the octohedron which is that giant floating shape (laughs) i think it was ramiel i liked the redesign of the octohedron in rebuild one in my opinion the angels and the rebuilds have been way cooler looking yeah like they've done so much more with them but I really liked the lightning one. Oh, yeah. It was Angel 15, I think. That one was like a bomb with wings, right? It was weird, but it reminded me a lot of this Pokemon. Oh, yeah. And so I really liked everything for that reason. But I also liked the one that was like this black hole. Black hole sphere one. Some really cool designs, some really creative stuff that you don't normally get in a mecha like this. Yeah. 